right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. You don't got time that. Right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition ha, of oh, Rock forgot. Shock Sports Talk. You forgot. When Nick you forgot, and then Johnson. you were like, oh, wait, I was supposed to do something dumb this time. And you forgot. I did not forget. I just didn't know what to do. But oh, well. doesn't no, matter. That's, no, that no, you forgot. Uh, we're going to be talking a lot of KU football on today's edition of the show. We uh, are going to start doing our previews early of the different opponents KU play. So we, uh, as of tomorrow, will be nine weeks away from the first KU football game. They obviously play 12 games. We're going to talk some Missouri State today. We're going to talk to Scott Ritchie, who is a beat writer for the Illinois football team. So we'll get their view of things tomorrow. We're going to talk to Chris Murray from Nevada. And then we'll kind of get into the conference foes weeks after that. We got lie detector tests. We got... Uh, another KU Jayhawk rewind for football. Talking about the Iowa State game later today. We're, we're going to head a little bit into the transfer portal. Not much left, but we will talk about it. And how about this? We got a class of 2024 commit in Kene Anene, who I'm going to mispronounce his name like five times during the show, which I apologize on behalf of, of his whole family for that already. He's going to join the show in the middle of the 4 o'clock hour. So uh, we're looking forward to that one. Right off the bat here. Um, we, we talked a little yesterday about big questions for the defensive side. We, we talked the day before about things you feel most sure about with, you know, all, all three phases. Um, yes. And one thing I was curious on, because when you look at the last two years and the first two years of the Lance Leipold era at Kansas, each of them have featured Kansas having a all big 12 caliber pass rusher. You had Kyron Johnson in 2021, led your team with six and a half sacks. He ends up being a sixth round pick by... Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. And then you had Lonnie Phelps this past year who had seven sacks. And he was, I, I don't remember if he got on the All-Big 12 team. He was at least All-Big 12 honorable mention, but All-Big yeah. 12 caliber, right? Yeah. Um, and now in, in the NFL trying to, to make his way onto a roster. Um, so you already struggled the last two years on defense as is. And that was with a good pass rusher. What happens so- now that there is not that obvious candidate to be that guy. Now, maybe Jeremy Robinson develops into that guy. Um, I really like Jeremy Robinson. I think he's going to have a really good season. Is the really good season, though, going to be all Big 12 pass rusher level? Or is it going to be four sacks? Sure, exactly. You know, what, what is the difference there? I don't know. And when you look at how much those guys really took the bear of the pass rush, I mean, Kyron Johnson had, as I mentioned, six and a half sacks. The rest of Kansas combined in 2021 had eight and a half. So, like, he, he was almost so half the team's production, yeah, almost basically. Yeah. Uh, Lonnie Phelps had seven last year. The, the rest of the team went up, but it was still just 17 outside of Lonnie Phelps, which, you know, Kansas overall, that gives you 24 sacks if you're doing math at home. Oh, thank you. I, I, didn't, I had not figured that out. <laughs> Those 24 ranked tied eighth in the Big 12. So there was only one team that was worse than them in sacks last year, and that was even having Lonnie Phelps. So if you take away Lonnie Phelps, you have only 17 sacks remaining. 
Iowa State was last in the Big 12 last year with 18. So in theory, you're the worst sack team in the Big 12 without Lonnie Phelps. Now, you would also say if you don't have Lonnie Phelps anymore, you're probably replacing him maybe with someone you get else. Maybe a couple. Yeah, yeah, maybe maybe you place him with someone else who gets two sacks. And then you're at 19, and now you're still ahead of Iowa State. But still, the point is... You're splitting hairs. Yeah, you're right there. You're near the bottom of the league in sack total, which is not ideal for nope. a defense that has already struggled if you're taking away one of your better strengths, right? So I guess the question pairs down to this. like, Do you think KU needs an all-conference level pass rusher to have at least a chance to be like a middle-tier, upper-half defense this year? Okay, what I actually think is more important uh, when it comes to this conversation is not so much the total number of sacks that that the that your star level pass rusher can get or whatever to me it comes down to timely impact plays you need a guy who can be an x factor type player where on a third and 9 he can get there or he can cause he can impact the play on third and 10 on you know those types of plays that to me is almost what i think is maybe more important for KU like you i don't I think you can get away with not having a top-tier level pass rusher that's putting up seven, six, seven, eight, nine sacks, which by KU standards would be by far their best pass rusher. I don't think you necessarily need that. What you do need, though, is you need somebody who can go out there on a high-impact play and make something happen, disrupt the offense, get, get get that sack on that play, something like that. To me... That is what's more important when it comes to this conversation. And Lonnie Phelps was able to do that last year. And I'm not really that concerned about KU replacing his like his sack totals, you know, seven sacks. I'm not really concerned about that. What I'm more concerned about is it's third and eight. There's four minutes left in the fourth quarter. You absolutely need to stop. You, either you have the lead and you're trying to get the ball back, or maybe you might be trailing trying to get the ball back. Can, you, can somebody on the D-line on that specific play make something happen. Yeah. To me that's the to clutch me, play for you when yes, you really need it. To me, that is kind of what I view as being more pertinent to this this sort of conversation because I, I think KU will be generally okay uh in terms of like the totals. I mean I think you feel confident enough of with with what you've got from the transfer portal that you should be able to get some production there. You've got Austin Booker. Devin Phillips is more of a run, run-stopping middle defensive line guy. But they have they, it was Booker and uh, Patrick Joyner is the other one, right? Yeah. yeah. So you have Booker and Patrick Joyner coming in uh, as transfers. Jeremy Robinson's gonna have another year. So you, you, I think in terms of like just the pure looking at the numbers, I think KU's probably gonna be generally okay. Are they gonna get up? So I guess last year they had twenty-four sacks. Are they gonna get to twenty-four sacks this season? I don't know. I'm not really sure. But again, I to me that's not I don't think that's as important. Like I don't think it's like sitting here today, I don't think it's like, well, if KU doesn't get twenty four sacks this season, then their pass rush was worse. Maybe, but if they don't get but maybe if they get twenty sacks, but let's say if you go back and look at them and it turns out that, you know, half a dozen of those were on critical plays that helped the defense get off the field or or you know, at the end of the day, not all sacks are created equal. No, they're not. And and also keep in mind, a lot of that production was just the opening game last year. Um, yeah, I mean, how many sacks did he have against Tennessee Tech? I mean, three and a half. Phelps on his own has had three against Tennessee Tech. I think as a team, they had maybe five, four or five. So, I mean, 
If you look at it that way, you're basically averaging for the rest of the season two sacks per game. Can you get that two sacks per game this year? I don't know. I, I do think you're 100% right, though. Like, in the key moments, do you have that guy who can go get the quarterback? Yeah, like, I'm not, like I said, I'm not going to, if we're sitting here next and they have January s- or whatever. Yeah, they have 21 and it's instead like, of 24. Yeah, exactly. We look back and it's like, well, that's this season they only got 22 sacks instead right. of 24. Well, they must must have been a failure. Th- well, no, probably not. I think the other part of this, though, is the impact of having that guy in terms of opening things up for the rest of the D-line. Right, Kyron Johnson was getting double teamed. Lonnie Phelps was getting double teamed, and they were still Triple able to teams. produce. Yeah, through the double team, and it felt like with Lonnie Phelps, he was getting held every play too. Um, <laughs> maybe that was just a skill by him where it just made it look like that. But nonetheless, every, when, everybody's favorite pass rusher gets held every play. Yeah, that is true because you're watching him more, right? And, yes. and there's more of that. And and actually, offensive linemen can't hold the jersey; it just has to be within the. Uh, the, the like chest plate, which I don't know. Oh, don't defend know holding. Come I'm on, just man. Saying, I'm just saying. Why are you defending holding? <laughs> okay, you're right. You're right. No. Uh, Lonnie Phelps should have drawn 80 holdings last year. Um, but okay, wait. Just random side note. If a player had zero sacks, but they drew 100 holdings <laughs> over the course of it, let's say 10 holdings per game, would that be Heisman worthy? That's it. That's absurd. 10? 10. That's ridiculous. Would that be Heisman worthy? I, I, I don't know. Even Maybe. though his stats at the end I mean, of the year are like that would mean 10 tackles, like, zero well, sacks. Well, but technically, he, that means he would have like negative 1,200 yards impacted. Yeah. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. Heisman worthy, man. Uh, nonetheless, uh, I digress. With both those guys, they drew double teams, and so that's going to open up other players on your D-line to be singled or to not get as much attention or the plays where... You know, maybe the tight end or the running back is is putting extra attention or chipping the defensive end. It's going Phelps' way, which means that the other guys, the the Jeremy Robinsons, the the Sam Burts, who obviously graduated, but you know what I mean, just the other defensive linemen, the Malcolm Lees, again, graduated. But uh, whether it was last year, we're able to be beneficiaries of that from Lonnie Phelps to get single teams. So what happens if now you don't have a good enough pass rusher to get double teamed now not only do, do you not have those six or seven sacks that you've gotten from the past few years, maybe it's only three or four from this year, but maybe now the numbers from the production around you goes down too just because those guys aren't getting as as many favorable matchups. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's something to, that is a good point as well because you're right. At the end of the day, when you have when you have a guy that an offensive line is forced to respect, is forced to acknowledge as a serious threat that certainly impacts offensive line game plan game planning from the opposing team and it certainly impacts how they might shift their pass protections and whatnot which can help with other players and I think that what what makes this conversation a bit frustrating today is that to have it right now is that you bring in Patrick Joyner you bring in uh, Austin Booker and Joiner, if I'm mista- if I'm not mistaken, Joiner was hurt the entire spring ball. I don't even think he ever even got on the field during the spring. He was definitely hurt. I I don't know how much he played, but yeah. yes, he was hurt during spring. And he's a guy that I think on paper you look at as as being someone who could possibly give you that that production a little bit from what you got from Monty Phelps because he was he was at Miami and then went to Utah State and then to KU, right? So the fact that he the fact that you didn't even get a chance to really see him at all, I don't think, in the spring. That makes this conversation today a bit more difficult because you, at, at this point, you can't definitively say that KU has effectively replaced 
the departure of Lonnie Phelps. No. You can't say that. Yeah, and I, I do think part of it is you know, the staff was hoping he was going to come back and kind of thought oh, he was going to. Sure. I mean, he ended up being undrafted, right? Oh, for sure. I mean, I've talked about this a lot with the, on the basketball side, you know, but as as a staff, as a coaching staff, you always have to operate under the assumption that a guy is going to leave. But the real situation is with Lonnie Phelps, like, I don't even think there was any – I mean, obviously we aren't, you know, we aren't privy to the conversations being had behind closed doors and whatnot, but – from an outward perspective, it, it would appear as though his decision to enter the draft was pretty surprising mm-hmm. at the time, at the at the moment that it happened. Mm-hmm. And then you see what KU's response was. They put a lot of emphasis on trying to somebody find somebody in, in pass rush. They bring in a couple guys, but again, it, it's it's tough to say that you feel even remotely comfortable with replacing what Lonnie Phelps, what you lost with Lonnie Phelps leaving. Yeah, for and, sure. I, and I don't know. I mean. You might not even be able to feel comfortable with that until the season starts. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think uh, you'll obviously want to see them overpower Missouri State because it's an FCS opponent. Illinois will be a challenge because Brett Bielema, like, what do we think about when we think of his teams? We think of gigantic offensive lines that run the ball well, but that'll be a good test. And then uh, we're going to talk to a guest about Nevada tomorrow, but, you know, that seems to be kind of a weakness for them, their offensive lines. You're going to have a chance to at least show it. But I will say this. To the, to the notion of do they need a really good pass rusher and just a good pass rush in general to be a good defense? Or, you know, we're not expecting them to be a top three, to top five defense. Average to defense. be good enough, right? To be good enough to be an eight or nine win team when you pair it with having a possibly elite offense. Um, Texas Tech last year was eight and five. They had the eighth best defense in the league by yards allowed per play. And so if you can be a good enough offense... I don't. I, I'm just going to tell you. I don't like the Texas Tech example. Why not? Because they had Tyree Wilson. Okay. So I don't. But I isn't don't like some that. of the parts there anyway. I, I guess, but they they had literally a top two pass, top three pass rusher in the entire country. But on that their still team. only got them to the eighth best defense. Is the point? Like if the well, output but, is but eighth my either point way. Is, but my point is that the, when you have a guy like that, going back to this, the, how we started this discussion, Tyree Wilson was the guy making the critical impact plays when they needed him. Okay. So yes, if you have a if you if your defense is not very good, but you have an X factor player that can blow up a play literally anytime he wants to, that helps a lot. Yeah. And the reality situation is KU doesn't have doesn't have a Tyree Wilson or anything even remotely close well, to that. I guess though for me, if you tell me they're going to have a slightly worse pass rush, but they're going to be better against the run and they're going to be slightly better in pass coverage, I think that probably makes you slightly better overall. Well, okay, think about it this way, too. Okay, I I agree with you, but I have a hard time saying that KU's run defense is going to be a little better. No, but that's my point. I I I have a hard time making that assumption. I agree, I agree. You can't just assume it's going to happen. (laughs) Basically, what I'm saying, though, is that if you can do that, then it will make up for this, is my way of putting that. Because, I mean, okay, going back to last year, KU's run defense was overall, I think, better, if you look at the numbers, but they were inconsistent. Right, they had some games where they looked pretty good. Had some games where they weren't that good. So if you can get more consistent, maybe that that would help you out. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, like we, I think we had this discussion yesterday. If KU has the eighth best defense in the new fourteen team Big Twelve, mm-hmm. that's pretty damn good. Yeah. So I I think the the way that the running helps you is that especially not just because it would make you better in one facet. Think about it this way. If you can be in more third and six and third and seven than you are in third and four, 
your pass rush is just going to get a boost because you're expecting a pass. Your pass rush is going to get a boost because you're going to be able to use more blitzes and unfurl the playbook a little bit more. So I, I think if they just can be a better run team, then it's going to make up for this question here. So I'll, let me ask you this before we go to break. How would you order these as most important for KU? And just most important in getting better or being good at, whatever, however you want to view it. The pass rush, run defense, coverage, and turnover creation. How would you rank those one through four? Okay, in terms of importance? Yeah. I think for KU's defense, turnover creation's probably number one. I'll go turn for turnover creation one. Run defense two. Pass rush three, coverage four. I think I agree with you. Turnover creation would be one. It may not be the most sustainable long term, but in a vacuum in a season, if you have an well, insane a, turnover differential. And, and again, like another thing with, with what you were saying with like the Texas Tech thing, with looking at their defense is like if your defense is like kind of bad in terms of yards and whatnot, yeah. but you force a lot of turnovers, what that does is it makes you go from a bad defense to like a pretty good defense right. if you force a lot of turnovers. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think I'd go turnover creation one, run defense two, pass rush three, coverage four. Because we, I mean... You, you and, could convince me pass rush coverage could flip. I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, we expect the coverage to be right. pretty solid. Like in the NFL, having a good pass rush is a requisite to... Be a good defense. Being successful. In college, there's not enough of those guys. And we went back in the estimation from the 07 well, Orange Bowl college, team. Their leader not, in sacks had three and a half. Well, and, and in college, you're not going up against, you know, an NFL quarterback every week. Right. You know, you're not, like, if you look at the Chiefs, for example, you're not going from playing Justin Herbert to Josh Allen to Joe Burrow to Lamar Jack. You know, you're playing not that level of quarterback. Mm-hmm. All right, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Let's get into our uh, first opponent preview, Missouri State, coming up next. Then we'll get to Scott Ritchie talking some Illinois football. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're going to be joined by Scott Ritchie to preview the Illinois side of things ahead of KU's Week 2 matchup. But first, let's do the Missouri State. We, we tried to get a couple of Missouri State guests on. There aren't a ton of Missouri State guests to have on and just wasn't able to get in contact. So uh, we're just going to do this ourselves. Uh, just based on some stuff we did some research on. Uh, so Missouri State, I thought they were better than I, I ended up looking last year. Like, I just remembered them almost beating Arkansas and having Bobby Petrino and thought they were, like, really good. Yeah, well, they were really good in 2021. Yeah. And then uh, last year, they ended up being not that good. <laughs> yeah, factual. They went 5-6 and six last year. Because um, they made the playoff in 2021. Yeah, and then they did not make the playoff last year. They started hot, 2-0 and to start the year, win against UT Martin, who was the 14th-ranked team in the country. Then they led Arkansas 24-17, to headed into the fourth quarter. But Arkansas outscored them like 21-3 to in the fourth quarter. Yep. And then after losing that game, they lost four more, which gave them five straight losses. Tough schedule. You had Arkansas in there, South Dakota State, who was number two, Southern Illinois, who was number 17, and two other road conference games. Uh, but then they won three of four to finish, so they did kind of end on a high note there. Uh, Lindy's preseason magazine has them ranked seventh of the 12 Missouri Valley teams. So they're supposed to be kind of a middle of the pack conference team. I will say the Mo Valley is seen as like the SEC of the FCS, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, North Dakota State. Yeah. South Dakota State. North All Dakota, the Dakotas. Yeah. Uh, Youngstown State's normally a good team. I think they're in the Missouri Valley. Uh, I remember Indiana State, who uh, almost, 
upended Kansas on the Les Miles debut. Yep. They said to get yep. like an interception late to seal it. <laughs> they're in the Missouri Valley. Yeah. Yeah, and I, there was the comment about a year or two ago from Lance Leipold talking about like uh, the Missouri Valley, like you, you don't like to see those on your schedule. So, <laughs> yeah. So uh, why don't you follow up with them about that? Yeah, but also like they're not ranked in the top 25. I haven't seen them in any time. I've, I've looked at like three different preseason FCS polls. None of them have them in the top 25 or in like the next team. None of them have like uh, them, any of their players on like preseason All American lists. They have a new head coach, Bobby Petrino. Left, he's now he took the job at it was UNLV was offense it. coordinator, yes, yep. and then he left, and back. then for AM. Um, but he was the offense coordinator for at UNLV for like yes two weeks. The the old even, Chris I don't Beard. I know if that, that held that long. But his son is the offensive coordinator, right? Yes. And then the head coach was the former defensive coordinator Ryan Beard. He is technically his son, right? Son-in-law, yeah. yeah. He's married to his daughter, I believe. Yeah, so it's a family affair. It's it's really interesting, actually. Yeah, Uh, They return 11 starters to the team. You look at the offense, pretty balanced, about 250 in the air, 120 on the ground per game last year. They have no returning all-conference picks from a season ago. They do bring back Jacardia Wright, who uh, is a really good running back, over 700 rushing yards last year. He actually was previously a transfer from Kansas State. Boo. Yeah, well, he should be pretty good this year. <laughs> but they lost uh, multiple all-conference picks. Landon Beebe was a second-team all-conference pick on the offensive line. He gone. Ty Scott was an honorable mention conference pick at receiver. He gone. Jose Pisano, honorable mention pick at kicker. He gone. And this guy wasn't all-conference, but he was pretty good. Jason Shelley was their starting quarterback. He had over 3,000 total yards, 16 touchdowns. Uh, he graduated. There was actually a Springfield local paper in November of last season coined or that said, quote, will be remembered as one of MSU's best. So they lost one of their best quarterbacks of all time. They lost three all-conference picks. They don't return any all-conference picks to offense. Okay, that's a good thing. Feel pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Then you look at the defense. They gave up 27 points per game last year. Weren't totally stout against the run. Gave up 156 rushing yards last year. So this is a game that you look at and you would think you should be able to impose your will. You yeah. should be able to run basic offense and I mean, be able to establish big what, holes. What's, what's KU's strength? Running the ball. Running the ball. Right. Or that's what that's what their strength yeah. should be. We think it is. You should be able to kind of mow over the defense here. Uh, they lose four all-conference picks on the defensive side of the ball. Kevin Ellis, defense alignment. He was the second-team selection. Fernie Manulelua. Probably messed that up, but he is a second-team pick that they lost. Montre Braswell, first-team pick, is a defensive back. He's gone. And then Kyrie McDonald was an honorable mention pick. All four of those guys are gone. The only all-conference pick they bring back is their punter, Grant Burkett, who was first-team all-conference. Wow, first-team last year? Yeah, in the Missouri Valley. Um, So that means they're losing. So elite punting. Yeah, be careful, be careful. Very, very careful. No position game. (laughs) Although you, you again, you went to Australia. You oh, I did. Um, oh, I did, yeah. Took a little day trip, checked them out. Yeah. So that means they, they had seven all-conference picks last year, and they lost all of them. And they lost their head coach, and you have a new head coach coming in. And their starting quarterback. Their starting quarterback's gone. Uh, they're being seen as a solid team, but not a great one. KU should be favored by a solid amount in this game. Look, yes. y- you cannot lose this game if you're Kansas. No. No. This, I'm this not saying be, they physically can't. I'm saying this would be if you want to have literally it, Yes. Like the ultimate just setback. Blow up the stadium after the game. Fold the program. Maybe that's probably that's probably too extreme. Yes. But <laughs> you know, you can't you can't lose this game. I mean, after after everything you've done, and listen, I I don't want to come off as 
too negative here, but I do think over the course of the offseason, with all of the hype, and it, it, there should be a lot of hype, but mm-hmm. like I think there is a case of maybe some people putting the cart for the horse a little bit, whereas like just kind of booking KU to win conference road games, booking KU to, to do this, this, and this. And I, I, I don't want to go as far as to say that I'm like super confident that those types of things are going to happen. What I am feeling super confident that is going to happen, though, is that KU is going to annihilate Missouri State. That has to happen, and I think it will happen, and I hope it does. They should, yeah. On paper, I would imagine this will be – I don't remember. What was the uh, Tennessee Tech line last year? I think it was year? like 21? 24, maybe? I think it will be lower than that. You think so? Because it is still Missouri Tennessee Valley. Tennessee Tech was probably bad. Like, yeah. Tennessee Tech was a bad team. But also that was under the estimation last year that Kansas was, was the over-under was two good. and a half wins, yeah, right? not that good, yeah. So maybe it'll be around there. I, I bet you it'll be around 20, 21 points. That would be my guess. Um, okay. So, yeah, you, but if you take care of your game, this is going to be a very young team, a new team. You're going to have more talent than them. More right? talent, more experience, more continuity on right. your coaching staff, returning starting quarterback. Yeah, you, te- you check all the boxes here. Yeah, and like you said, if you lose this game, it's a huge mess. So please do not do that because that would feel like a gigantic step backwards. It, yeah, it would, that, that's an understatement. Yes. All right, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Let's move on to week two. Illinois coming to Lawrence on a Friday night. We're going to talk with Scott Ritchie, the Illinois beat writer for the News Gazette in Champaign, Illinois. Coming up next, you're listening to RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson, and uh, we're, we're taking a peek at KU football's upcoming opponents, week two of the season on a Friday night, I believe September 8th, Kansas is going to be hosting Illinois in a battle of a couple of Power 5 teams in Big 12 versus Big 10. We bring on now Scott Ritchie, the Illinois beat writer for the News Gazette in Champaign, Illinois, to join the show. Scott, I appreciate you coming on here today. Um, Last season, really good year for for Illinois and uh, another year of the Brett Bielema era. Was last season, did, did that feel like it was a summit type season where, you know, it was, you have all these things aligned and, and you reach a certain point and then maybe it's going to be a step back this year? Or did it feel like that was a another rung on the ladder of, of positive improvement and the, and the arrow continues to point up into the, uh, the win total for this year? I mean, in a way, kind of both, potentially. Um, Mostly it felt like it was just uh, maybe the natural progression from the year prior, you know, the first season under Brett Bielma, um, because you know, there were more wins. And you know, in the close games that Illinois lost in his first season, they won a few more and you know, got to a bowl game. And there's a feeling you know, that that progression could continue, but there's a lot of questions you know, about this year's team that will have to be answered to ensure that there isn't maybe you know, the that fall off the cliff moment, you know, after losing, you know, most of the secondary to the NFL, you know, making you know, a change at quarterback after Tommy DeVito, you know, exhausted his eligibility, losing defensive coordinator Ryan Walters. So, I mean, I think the, the trend is heading in the right direction for Illinois football, um, and it's just sort of a wait and see if this is this season is more of the same or, you know, maybe a, a speed bump in that process. Yeah, how does it feel with with that being year two of the Brett Bielema era? Was it more of Bielema taking a lot of the guys from from the previous regime and um, 
uh, of Lovey Smith and, and being able to develop them and, and just work with what they had? Does it feel like now they, they have more of the actual Brett Bielema guys in there? Or I guess how has this kind of come together for Illinois to turn into this team that, that now seems like should be a consistent bowl team in the Big Ten? Yeah, I mean, just the way that coaches can flip rosters now um, with the transfer portal, um, that you know, Brett Bielma has mostly his team you know, at this point. Now, there are still some holdovers from the Levy Smith era, and I think as you know, last season showed, like he recruited some talented players to Champagne, you know, Devin Witherspoon, Jason Sidney Brown. Um, but it took... Brett Bielma and his staff maybe to put those players on you know, the path that got them to the NFL. Um, so these are more his guys. Um, but I think this, in general, it's just it's his, it's his kind of football. It's his style. Yeah. And, you know, even the, whole, you know, the holdover players from the Levy Smith area, like they bought into that pretty quickly. Mostly because I think they just, wanted anything different. They just wanted to win some actual football games that, you know, that they were willing to sort of kind of follow what Brad Bielma wanted. And so you know, with his team, with his style, like it's the program has really changed in, you know, two plus years. And, you know, we'll see if he can do at Illinois, what he was able to do at Wisconsin, where he obviously inherited a much better situation, didn't have nearly as maybe as far to go from a growth perspective um, with the Badgers. But again, I think the trend does seem to be heading in the right direction at Illinois. One of the things that I feel like nationally get looked at when you're trying to predict what a team is going to do from one year to the previous year, you look at certain trends like how'd you do in one score games? If you know, you, you had a, a really negative percentage or positive percentage. Usually those things might, I don't know, come back down to even or, or come a little closer, even though there are exceptions like Iowa seemingly every year. Uh, turnover margin is another thing where, you know, if you have an insane turnover margin one year, maybe you're not going to be expected to have that great of one or, or vice versa the next year. And it, it's interesting when you look at Illinois because they were plus 15 in turnover margin last year, which on one hand seems like a, a, a very high number. Then again, though, with the style of play that Brett Bielema wants to institute, I, I guess that could be more repeatable. But also they were minus three in one-score games. So I guess what do you do with, with the information of of where they were last year in, in those two areas that maybe could be deemed lucky or unlucky in really either nature? Well, I think the turnovers are something that could be repeated. Um, it's just the way that he's constructed that defense um, – I think lends itself to that. Now it's going to require I me. Mean, a lot of those came out of the secondary and all those guys are gone. So it's going to require some of those younger, you know, defensive backs to step up. But even with Ryan Walters leaving, you know, Aaron Henry, the new coordinator worked with Walters with in the secondary. Um, I think all of the, that, all of that defense really likes Aaron Henry. He's a likable guy. Um, so I think that they can, it's going to be tough to be the number one defense in the country again, but they can still be you know, pretty effective on that out in that end. Um, the close games, like Illinois, going to have to figure out how to win one score games because they're going to play a lot of them with Brett Bielma as coach because that's the kind of grind it out type of style he wants. Um, there were a lot of 
close games in his first season in Illinois, and they lost multiple that they could have won. Maybe really you know, changed things in a hurry in the first season. Uh, they were a little better in year two, but again, lost some close games that were potentially there for the taking, including you know that game at Michigan that could have really changed the dynamic of the whole season. You know, maybe Illinois winds up in the Big Ten championship game instead of Purdue. Um, but yeah, that's I think that's part of growth as a program is you know making incremental improvements in those areas. And again, like they'll just have to be better in close games because that's what they're going to face. I think an awful lot of the time. So on the offensive side of the ball, uh, I think ranked 94th in the country did Illinois last year in scoring, but obviously ran it pretty well, as you'd imagine, with with Brett Bielema. For Kansas, that'll obviously be a concern, I'd imagine, when when that matchup comes up. Kansas has been very inconsistent or has struggled on the defensive end, stopping the run, which makes it, I think, a very interesting matchup. But uh, overall for the offense for Illinois, handful plus of starters back. Are are you expecting the offense to be better, worse, or, or about the same to last season? Well, it'll be different because you know, Chase Brown got the lion's share of the carries in route to 1,600 rushing yards last season. They used him a lot. Like 30-plus carries in a game was not an aberration you know, for him. And now he's gone. He got drafted by the Bengals. And I think it'll look more of a running back by committee approach. Um, you know, Josh McCray, you know, healthy Josh McCray. Will be in the mix there. Reggie Love as well. You know, maybe a retro freshman Jordan Anderson, Aiden Lawfrey. So the carries will be split a little differently, and you know they won't have a guy that was a top one, what was he, 163rd overall pick. I mean, you know, that was a talent. He was a Doak Walker finalist. Um, so they don't have that, but they do have, you know, pretty good offensive line or whoever has the ball to run behind, you know, with Julian Pearl and Isaiah Adams really anchoring the left side. And then I think the, the other big question is, what does Luke Altmaier do at quarterback? Um, he had some experience just in a, in a backup role at Ole Miss, but this is his first season, or will be his first season of being the guy. Um, and I think, you know, Barry Lenny Jr. would like to throw the ball a little more, Rabiola course was going to run and run a lot but um the offense that barry lunny had at um utsa was really good about getting you know athletes in space in the passing game and only has a really good one that I could use like that and isaiah williams so i think there'll still be a pretty good run pass balance but i wouldn't be surprised to see them throw maybe a little bit more just as the dynamic changes you know in a post chase brown world a uh, new quarterback in tow for the team. I know. I know they brought in a transfer over there, which uh, Tommy DeVito was a previous transfer coming in as well. How, how do you kind of see the quarterback competition going and the security of that position this year for the Illini? I mean, I don't know that it's really much of a competition. I mean, that's you know, Brett Bielema didn't tip his hand certainly during spring ball you know, after because they brought in Luke Altmaier from Ole Miss and then John Paddock as a fifth year guy um, out of Ball State who does have experience. I mean, he started all of last season for Ball State, but like Altmaier's the guy. Um, will be when training camp starts in August. Uh, will be when the season starts in September. Um, but they do have, I think, a capable backup in Paddock. And then they were really high this spring on 
uh, Donovan Leary, retro freshman. Um, his older brother, Devin, of course, had a really good you know, career at NC State. It's now at Kentucky. Um, so I think you know, they're pleased with the progress he made, but again, I think you know, Altmaier will be the guy come uh, September 2nd. Uh, defensively, uh, I know you've mentioned it, that all the DBs were lost either to the draft or I think there was one that was picked up as an undrafted free agent. And obviously you have some, some high-level draft picks there too, uh, led by uh, Witherspoon who goes in the top 10. Um, number one defense in the country last year by points. Number three defense in the country by yards allowed. I think ESPN SP Plus for 2023 has them as the number eight defense overall headed into the year. What to you is the biggest storyline about this unit headed into the year and, and how good they could possibly be? Well, I think after you know the secondary was so good last year, and really you know the year before that as well, um, things shift. It's I think the focus goes up front. Um, you know, with Johnny Newton and Keith Randolph both you know deciding to return for another season, that was a major positive move for Illinois. Um, then on the outside, they've got uh, Seth Coleman and Gabe Ackes, who was a freshman All American. Um, so I think there's not maybe a ton of depth behind Newton and Randolph. Um, but that first group up front, and I think T-Rod Edwards will probably slot into no tackle just as a, you know, to occupy a lot of blockers and let the other guys go to work. But like, that group could be pretty good. So it's sort of just interesting dynamic that, you know, the secondary has sort of led the way the last couple of years, but it could be the, you know, the front Front five, I guess, that front seven that that do it this year. We're talking with Scott Ritchie, Illinois beat writer for the News Gazette in uh, Champaign, ahead of the Kansas Illinois game in Week Two. Uh, so, what position, both offense and, and defense, or, or just I guess collectively, I should say, uh, what position do you view to be the biggest strength for Illinois this year, and what position do you maybe have the most questions about, or do you feel like is the biggest weakness? That's a good question. I think. With Johnny Newton, who is being projected as a first-round pick next year um, in some early, very early, obviously, mock drafts. With him, Keith Randolph, um, don't see how you can't put, you know, defensive, they're essentially defensive tackles, you know, as the main strength on this team. Um, with you know, the, the two outside linebackers I mentioned, Gayback and Seth Coleman being up there as well, and there's some there's some depth on the edge, um, some some interesting athletes there. So that's probably the strength I would say right now. Um, the left side again of the offensive line with Isaiah Adams, Julian Pearl would be really strong. The middle and part of the right side is being rebuilt, but um, I think uh, as far as weakness goes. I don't know if there's like one position that's weak. There's just several positions that are are young, um, and, and like wide receivers got a couple veterans at the top, but then maybe some lot of young guys that could step up. The secondary will be super young. I guess I'll, I'll go secondary just because that's the biggest question mark. You know, Taz Nicholson is back at one of the cornerback spots, but then it's brand new, essentially, you know, from from there on. So. That, that'll be a, a position to watch heading into the season. 
So from, from your perspective or the local perspective or the Illinois kind of perspective of this, how is this game being viewed against a Kansas team that had a resurgent year last year? It's on the road. Like, is this one that Illinois fans are talking about, oh, they, they should win? Is this one that they're worried about? What, what's kind of the local vibe on, on this one against KU? I think with what Lance Leipold's done in the it's kind of the same time frame that Brett Bielman's done, is it's certainly not looked at as a game that's like, oh, Illinois is obviously going to go to Kansas and win. Um, I think if they do get a win in Lawrence, it'll be a notable thing later in the season. Like, that turned out to be a really important victory. Um, it's kind of funny, you know, this game's been on the schedule for years at this point, because that's how college football scheduling works, but it, it always seems like when Illinois schedules out these games so far in advance that by the time they come up, like the team might have been down when the game was scheduled, but like they've risen um, considerably in talent and, and execution by the time it happens. So it's kind of fitting that Kansas is on the upswing, just uh, fits the Illinois football narrative. Yeah, it's funny. that That's what's happened to Kansas for the longest. They had Coastal Carolina scheduled out, and then all of a sudden they became a top 25 team. They have Duke scheduled out. They win nine games last year. Now Illinois, the same thing. So it's funny how those two things kind of collide. Uh, do you have any thoughts on the game being played on a Friday night? I mean, at this point, it is what it is. Like, college football is on most nights of the week, it seems like. Um I know that you know there are some fans that don't like it. I mean, just that you know don't like taking you know high school football's time on Friday night. Um, don't like the fact that they can't really tailgate all Saturday morning for uh, an afternoon game. Um, but TV runs a show, and they want games on more nights. And teams like Illinois and Kansas have a hard time saying. No, we're saying you know, they're not interested in that because I think you know the more airtime they get, the, the better. He is Scott Ritchie. You can check out his work in the News Gazette and Champaign, Illinois beat writer. Scott, I appreciate you hopping on here and uh, sharing some info on the Fighting Illini, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. All right, that's Scott Ritchie joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. So, uh, I don't know, the, the Illinois game, man, that that. It's such a huge game. It's going to be such kind of a, a toss-up. Two programs who, you know, you heard there about the uh, kind of programs both aligning at the same time here that have struggled to sustain success prior to these these current coaches who we both know are good. I mean, I don't know what the uh, the the correlation or the knowledge of of each other is between Brett Bielema and Lance Leipold because obviously Leipold was was doing his thing at the D three level in Wisconsin while. Um, Brett Bielema was at Wisconsin. At least there was some crossover there. Uh, but yeah, man, I mean, uh, it's going to be a battle if you want to win that game. Because you, yeah. you hear, I mean, they, they have possible first-round pick on the D-line. The D-line's really good. We know Brett Bielema teams, they want to be physical. They want to run the football. What have you struggled with? You've struggled with stopping the run on the opposition. Um, I feel like that's just a game that you're going to need Jalen Daniels to be him. Yeah, right. what I'm most excited about and, and what uh, Scott did a good job of touching on there when you when you asked him about it with the defense of Illinois and how this was a top five defense basically in the country last year, probably going to be in the top 25 at least again this year. And so what I'm what, it, what most excites me about this game is it is going to be a very early litmus test of just how good Kansas's offense is the, coming into this season, right? I mean, you're going to find out right away, is this an offense that 
Is, are they good or are they great? Yes. Is this an offense that's going to be building upon what they accomplished last year and becoming you know an elite level offense, which I think ceiling wise is what KU fans think they can be, or is this going to be an offense that maybe is just going to be good, like you said, good but not great, and and maybe struggle a bit more against a, against an elite level Power Five defense, which is what Illinois is. Now, obviously, there are some questions with Illinois, like Scott was saying, with their secondary and stuff, but still. This is a defense that is probably going to end up being a top 20 defense in the country when all set and done at the end of the yep. year. So you're going to get a very, very early look at just exactly where KU was at offensively if they truly are potentially that top 25 in the country elite-level offense or even higher offense versus being a good offense that maybe is not great. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. One hour down, two to go. We're going to have another interview coming up in the 4 o'clock hour with 2024 Commit. Uh, Kenne Anana, who will uh, join us here later on the show. We have lie detector test coming up. We uh, also will get to a KU Rewind with the Iowa State game later in the show. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Four o'clock hour here on KLWN. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to RCST. It stands for Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Uh, we're going to be joined by Kenne. Wait, and that's what it's Nene. named for? <laughs> yeah, it is. What, what oh. did you think it was this whole time? I, I didn't know. I just oh. I just thought it was, I don't know. It was like. Uh, it's like ESPN. What does ESPN stand for? It's a sports programming network. I don't know what the E is. Every Entertainment. Day. Entertainment. There we go. See, it does stand for something. <laughs> You're wrong. No. Okay. Uh, coming up at the 5 o'clock hour, we'll do another Jayhawk football rewind where we've been going back over the past you know, a handful of games of KU football, and uh, this week on the ledger is the Iowa State game, so that'll be a fun one to talk about. Spoiler missed, alert. I, he missed another field Iowa goal. State's kicker stinks, and <laughs> KU won. Yes. Okay. First, that, though. I don't I don't want to be harsh on the kid. I mean, I'm sure he's a good guy, but, dude, maybe try something that's not <laughs> kicking. <laughs> is, that, is that too mean? Well, sort of, but also, like, it is a production. I mean, like, I don't know. Like what do you want? You want you want the coaching staff to go up to you after that game and be like, "You did great." No, exactly. You didn't do great. Exactly. So not gonna lie about it. All right. Speaking of which, lie detector test on today's edition of the show. First up on the lie detector test, um, I I think we found out over these past couple of weeks, Brandon Miller is just delusional. First, he said that his goat was Paul George, not yeah, Michael was, Jordan or yeah, LeBron. That was wild. Now, in a post-draft interview, he said, I see the Charlotte Hornets in the NBA Finals next year. The Hornets oh. are currently tied for the worst odds to win the East at 300-1. to one. Oh, You can be a rich man if you believe Brandon Miller. Does Brandon Miller know what pick he got drafted to the Hornets? <laughs> Number two. Yeah. You know, what, means- you know what bad teams get? They get high picks. That means the Hornets were bad. Yes. Does that all check out to you? It checks out to me. I don't know. So they're just, I, I think this is the disconnect. I think for some athletes, you're, okay, so Brandon Miller was probably, he was the best player in middle school uh, in his area. Then he was one of the best players in high school and probably the best player on his team and the best player in his city and area, whatever, right? He goes to college. He's immediately one of the best players. He's the best player in Alabama, which is the best team in the country over the regular season. And he's one of the best players in the country. So all along the way, every level you've stacked up, you're going, oh, yeah. oh, no matter where I go, I'm just the best player. Yeah. So in his mind, he's probably going, oh, well, of course, I'm just going to be one of the best players in the NBA. I don't think certain guys have the like wherewithal to be like, no, it is, like, no I'm not going to go I mean, in and be one of the best like players. A, it's, uh, it's something that actually I've, 
I don't feel like it's talked about enough with mm-hmm. some with elite level prospects that become elite level college players that go to professional is that these are guys that, the guy that I always look at is Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence from like middle school until he got to the Jacksonville Jaguars lost like five games. Okay? In like however many games he played throughout his entire high school career, throughout all of his career at Clemson. He lost like less than a less than double digit games in like, you know, eight years before he got to Jacksonville. I mean, when that happens, when you when you never experience failure, it can imbue you with, you know, a certain level I'm of just unstoppable. Yes, yeah. of of imperturbable comp- confidence in yourself, which is fine. But that can also at the first sign where you that where you don't have success, it can really affect you mentally. So, I, I get it on one hand, but I- I'm curious like what's Brandon Miller going to do when the Hornets are 2 and 10? Because it's the thing, the, the Hornets are probably still going to be one of the what five or ten worst teams in the NBA. Well, you, you know just, what I mean? You just you just said they have the second worst or their tied exactly. for the worst odds to win the East. Yeah, that, I mean, all, that, that actually puts them in like the bottom four or five teams. Yeah, yeah, they're probably picking in the lottery again. They're probably going to have a high lottery pick. Like that's just how these things work. Unless he comes in right away and like even if he's rookie of the year, good, they're still going to be bad. Like that's that's part of probably. it. You know what I mean? Or at, I mean, at best they'll be like average. Right? Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I mean like, in the NBA, every team gets to make the playoffs because the NBA is stupid. So, true, like, like, maybe if you're the 20th best team and you make the playoffs, good job. Yeah. But, yeah, no, this is obviously a lie. It's not going to happen. Um, I don't but know what this else is another say. one of those classic ones where it's a lie, but he thinks it's the truth. Yeah. He really does believe this. He's not just, like, saying something <laughs> fun to excite the fans. He <laughs> believes it. Uh, Tobias Harris's agent's father. You following okay, that? Okay. Uh, listen. I don't mean to to break some news to you, Derek, but I think I I read the headline of this story. Is is his a, I think his agent is his father. Oh, I think you're right. Because it's agent says, dash father. Yeah, I, okay, yeah, I yeah you're you, right. I think you. Misread wow, it. I did misread this. <laughs> so which I I thought that was going to be even funnier. Um, okay, so his father is like, also his agent. I was like, okay. wait a second. Why would his agent's father care? <laughs> That's because his agent is his father. Uh, okay, that makes more sense. Nonetheless, <laughs> uh, he says the 76ers, he doesn't think the 76ers have properly utilized him and his assassin scorer mentality. Uh, Tobias Harris, an assassin scorer? First of all, I I don't know how to feel about that phrase. Is he gonna is he gonna take people out? Like literally? I'm concerned. <laughs> Second of all. I think we had this discussion with Tobias Harris one time where it's like, he's the best fourth man scorer in the league. Yeah. Great. Sure. But he's not anything above that, I don't think, right? Yeah, he's solid scorer. You know, solid player. So, I, I, I think this is I think this is a lie. But he might believe it. I don't know. He probably does believe it. But then again, it could Are be... Are you just rattled by the fact that you thought it was his agent's father? And now <laughs> I guess a little solid. bit. No, I... Father, the father part of this makes you think that he's not lying. That he says, "Well, the agent part of it makes you think that it is a lie, but it's an agent doing his job." Isn't an agent's job? Yeah. If your agent doesn't think you're is really an agent good, supposed to lie all the time. Yeah, agent's supposed to lie all the time and be like, "We have the best player in the world. <laughs> Sign us. Give us as much money as possible." You know. If he was doing the opposite, if he's like, yeah, Tobias Harris is a solid player, but he's probably overpaid, that would probably not go well. You would be fired if you were the agent. Who is it? Uh, Although not, he wouldn't because he's his dad. Whose dad is it? Is it like 
he just thinks he sucks, and he always tells him he sucks. <laughs> there was somebody in the, I think it was the NBA. Where Jamal was Murray? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was Jamal Murray, where his dad was like, you're trash at everything you do or something, and you're just, you're just bad. There were some stories that came out that were a little uh Yeah, no, those were excessive. questionable. Yeah, those yeah. were questionable. So probably was him. Um, is this a lie? I I guess the term assassin score is vague enough that like I think it's that's a lie. Well, I don't know, maybe not. Like uh, to me, if you're assassin score, you have to be scoring like twenty eight thirty a game in yeah, the NBA. I mean, dude, like what think about the term assassin. It's like the it's like when you're an assassin, you're like the master, the number one. Yeah. Like elite. Yeah. So this like, guy's like a, an apprentice level scorer. In his best seasons, he's scored 20 a game. But again, he's never been somebody where it's like, so oh, in the like playoffs, a, he's going to go for 40. You know, you know? He's, like, he's like an apprentice, not a not an assassin, <laughs> not right. a master. Right. No, I mean, like like this past year, he was, I don't know, like where, where does 14 point, 14 and a half points per game rank you? Is that like even in the top 50? Like maybe. I highly doubt it. Uh, yeah, this is a lie. But I understand the intention from him. Uh, Chris Johnson, we mentioned him, former Kansas signee. He committed to Texas, which, you know, you wish him well. All the best to him and everything. But here's what the Lone Star State native said in regards to that. I've always wanted to play for Texas basketball. Yeah, this is obviously a lie. Because if you always wanted to play for Texas basketball. Then why did you commit to KU Why wouldn't you just gone to Texas in the first place? Right. I mean, I'm sure Texas offered him. He's from Texas. I'm sure they recruited him. So it's not like they didn't recruit him, I don't think. Yeah, it's not like so, if like, yeah. But I, I, if you're good enough to go to KU, Texas isn't going to be like, nope, sorry. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I have serious questions about this. Yeah, so this is obviously a lie. He should have just said like, I've always enjoyed watching Texas or something like that. Sure, that's whatever, different than fine. saying I've always wanted to go there. When sure, clearly that was whatever, not the answer. Fine. Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, like, he can say whatever he wants. I kind of just don't really care. Yeah, to be honest. So yeah. on the on the like, it's a lie. But do I care? Me personally, no, I okay. don't. Sorry. This one, I think you will. You'll be mad about this one. Orlando Brown Jr., former Kansas City Chiefs left tackle. Oh yeah, he was asked about uh, some of the differences of blocking for Joe Burrow versus blocking for Pat Mahomes. Okay. Now, as opposed to having to play in a lot more space with guys on my edge, guys have got to rush through me because Joe isn't necessarily at 12 and a half or 13 yards on certain drops. He's going to be at seven and a half getting the ball out. Okay. Regardless of whether or not this is a lie or not, this is just incredibly, incredibly, like, mind-numbingly stupid. Okay? Here's why. You're not fit to tackle. Your job is to block. Okay? You literally have one job. One job. Block. Okay? That's it. That's all you got to do. It doesn't matter... Anything else, nothing else matters. Okay? So what Orlando Brown is saying here is that he sucks at blocking. Because he's saying that, well, Patrick Mahomes drops too deep, and because I'm bad at blocking, I can't block that long. So you suck. Just say I suck. Just be like, yeah, I'm trash. Yeah. I'm bad. Yeah, I can't block. I'm not a good blocker. That's what that's what I that's what I that's what I see when I read this. Yeah. When I hear this. Yeah, he's basically he's saying, saying, well, Patrick Mahomes. Drops too far back and makes my job harder, and I'm bad at my job, so now my job's easier. Yeah. I mean, there, there, is, there is some fact to this, and, and it is true. Like, and there has been talk about Patrick Mahomes dropping back to a point where he loses the pocket and 
maybe does sometimes and doesn't step up enough. And, you know, I, I think some of that has come and gone after this past season. But that was conversation headed into maybe last year for him. Um, and with Joe Burrow, you do think of him as being more of the quick drop, throw the ball away. But the irony in that is that, like, Joe Burrow's been one of the more sacked quarterbacks over the last two or three years in the NFL, right? <laughs> so as much as he does do that, it's not like he's doing that every play. Um is there going to be a better moment for you than if the like during the regular season? Than if the Chiefs beat the Bengals in the regular season and if like who I don't know who would be lined up on him. George Karloftis like or Charles Manning who just like dominates Orlando Brown. Yeah, I just yeah, I I just don't understand, bro. I just, I just don't understand. Like why what is it about Cincinnati that when you go there you just think it just makes people think they're entitled to just run their mouth to say whatever the hell they want? Well, I don't I don't understand. Is there something in the water? Is it something like you suck? You always lose. You're trash. What, I don't. What other, I don't understand. Mm-hmm. What What about Cincinnati makes guys think they can just say whatever they want and think they can get away with it? I don't get it. If you could choose between the Chiefs winning the next two Super Bowls, no, 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 scratch that. You could choose between the Chiefs winning one of the next two Super Bowls, but the Bengals win the other, or the Chiefs don't the win one of the next two Super Bowls, oh. but the Bengals win. Zero games over the next two years. Which are you taking? Wait, what? So option zero one, the, option one, the Chiefs. How would are, they even win zero games? I don't know. Just change it to like zero playoff games. All right, fine. They win zero playoff games. Whatever. I'm doing. I'm taking that one. So you would rather the Bengals win zero playoff games than see the Chiefs win another Super Bowl? Correct. Yes. <laughs> because I think the Chiefs are going to win a Super Bowl anyways. No, but in my hypothetical, they're not winning one in the next two years, for sure. Well, Guaranteed. then they'll just win the next, they'll okay. just win the third year one. All right, all right, that's fine. They'll just win the next one in the, in the third year. Um, Travis Kelsey on being underpaid. When I saw Tyreek go... Wait, we and, didn't determine if Orlando uh, Brown was the truth or lie. Um, He's telling the truth. I think He's saying, I suck and I'm bad. Truth. Okay. Next. I think there is some truth to it, but he's making it sound worse than it actually is and he's kind of whining about it okay travis kelsey yes i'm being underpaid when i saw tyreek go and get 30 a year in the back of my head i was like man that's two to three times what i'm making right now i'm like the free market looks like fun until you go somewhere and you don't win i love winning i love the situation i'm in yeah there was i feel like there was a lot of people making a lot more out of this yeah than like there needs to be made out of it i mean i think it's pretty cut and dry saying Travis Kelsey is saying I'm really really good I could go make a ton of money see okay this is what pisses me off about this stuff okay Tom Brady for years in New England constantly would take less money than what he was worth all the time so that he could have a better team around him okay and nobody no and nobody batted an eye nobody no, even anything, seemed it was to celebrated. care yes, it was celebrated exactly yeah. nobody even it wasn't even a big deal it was like look at Tom Brady being a good teammate, taking less money so he can win more. And all of a sudden, that has turned into now where it's like, well, if you're not getting $18 bajillion a year, what do you do? I mean, you're an idiot. Why are you going to get all the money you can get? Why aren't you doing all that? I don't understand. Where's the... Why? I don't get it. What happened? What, I don't, what was the change? Wonderful question. I don't have the answer to that. Now, it's one thing... It's I, like, we have this conversation about the Mahomes situation. Like... Mahomes is going to get literally bullied by the media mm-hmm. into taking a, a huge contract at some point. Yeah, well, when you because people about are too, so mad that he doesn't want to get people are like, well, why? Why he should make more, way more money than that? Well, who cares? Yeah, you kind of do have to make that decision as a player along the way because this isn't baseball. Where in baseball it's unlimited salary caps. So like, if if. 
Travis Kelsey wanted to make $30 million, he could do it and be on a winning team. But in football, because it is a salary cap and you can only devote certain percentages, you do kind of have to make that decision of like, you know, am I fine making $5 million less million per year? Am I fine making... You know, eight million dollars less per year, which over the five record, years, that's forty million dollars. I, I agree with Travis Kelsey. Like, I, w- uh, me personally, I would rather be in a good situation oh, where course. I'm winning and being happy. Being happy. Also, if your team's winning life. more, you're probably going to get more endorsements, which is going to help balance it out a little yeah. bit. So, like, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I understand. Like, well, in the case the of stand, Travis I understand Kelsey, point the stand, I understand the viewpoint of for professional athletes, you have a very, very yeah. small window to make money generally speaking i mean the average nfl career is like what four years four and a half years so you have a very 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 tiny window to maximize the amount of money you can make during right. that time period i get that i understand but that it's it's not a it's not a blanket thing no Some guys can have can, can do different things no i i never fault someone if somebody wants to go chase the money and help yeah, out exactly. the family, like, I, I go don't, for it yeah like but I, I think no, you I also celebrate the guys who are willing to you know sacrifice yeah, them. exactly like, and in I the case of, of nobody, kelsey i wasn't ever upset with tyree kill for going to get no, of course going not. and making as much money as he could go for it and in the case of kelsey like he's going to be set up for a life after football with his podcast I mean, he's going to be an entertaining yeah, guy I mean, like, he's going to be an actor probably yeah he'll be just i mean it's only a matter of time before travis kelsey ends up getting in movies and stuff yeah i mean doesn't that seem like the obvious thing that's going to happen yes 100 uh okay chris jones last one here he tweeted yesterday all win dpoi defense player of the year this year drew well, well, as, long, well as long as it's with the chiefs now i, I will i will warn you one of his last tweets was talking about him talking every he was going to tweet every day about frank clark that's no it. i know we Come had that fruition. conversation we had that conversation where the chiefs were like chris stop <laughs> and he was like I think okay. he's going off like 30 to 1 to win D player of the year. Mm. Good odds? Yeah. Throw 10 yeah. buckaroos or something on there. How many sacks would he have to get to win that? Well, I think there's more attention on him this year, to be completely honest, because they won the Super Bowl and how dominant he was in the AFC Championship game. Um, but last year he had 15 and a half sacks, and it didn't feel like he was even in like the top five of those lists, which was even, ridiculous who, to me. Who, who won last year? I don't even know. Wasn't it Nick Bosa? No, like I, don't, I, don't, I honestly don't know. I think you're looking at Jones having to get... If Jones does the same thing he did last year, I think he has a better chance to win it just because there's more notoriety now. But I'll say probably minimum 16 sacks, and the Chiefs would have to be like top 10-ish defense. I think is how it would That could be tough. But then again, they had a lot of young players on last year's team. Who no, that's true. Maybe they could. That is true. Uh, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We got a fun interview coming up next with Kenny Nene. Uh, test determined the Cincinnati Bengals suck. Uh, Truth. 2024 commit for the offensive line for KU. We're going to talk about uh, his game and talk to him next. Get to know him more on the other side. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson, joined by a very special guest. He is one of the commits for the class of 2024, a really strong class of 2024 for Lance Leipold and the KU football team with Kenny Anana, who is... Uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just going to have Kenny pronounce his last name because I feel like I already butchered it. And I believe, Kenny, uh, you're, you're Nigerian descent, correct? And we've had some great Nigerian players come through. Yudoka Azabuke, the most notable. Uh, give us the, the proper pronunciation of your name so that fans can, can figure out how to say it. Oh, yeah, it's uh, Kenny Enene. Enene. Got it. All right. So uh, uh, you come to Lawrence, you visit the school. I, I don't believe you had ever been to Lawrence before. You end up committing afterwards. What were your thoughts on maybe KU or the city of Lawrence before you came versus when you did come and meeting those expectations or, or finding out things that you didn't know about? 
uh, before I came, I didn't really, like, have, like, much to expect. I just thought it was going to be, like, a regular school, I guess. But once I was there, like, I realized that, like, like, the, like really, like, a big, like, community type of school. And, like, the fans, like, really, like, the public school. Like, everybody's, like, for the school. And just, like, big, like, support from the from the, from the the fans. Um, I thought the campus was, like, really cool. Uh, really hilly, which is, like, not what I expected <laughs> at all. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was really, like, Cool, cool, uh, cool to experience. Yeah, the 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 one mountain in Kansas. It's where Lawrence is. That's for sure. Or hill or, or whatever you'd want to call it. Uh, so, did you have a favorite thing about the campus or the facilities or or the city? Um, favorite thing. I mean, other than like the football related stuff, uh, I'd probably say I forgot what street it was. Mass like, Street. I think it's like down. So what was that? Was it Mass Street? Yeah, yeah. Mass Street was it was pretty cool. It was like nice little like uh I don't know how you describe it, but this is like really like felt kinda of like like welcoming, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Downtown, walkable area, shops, restaurants, bars, all sorts yeah. of stuff you can go to. Uh so so what is the, the main reason you decided to come to KU? How much of it had to do with the visit, how much of it has to do with the opportunity you're gonna have on the football field, your love for the coaches? What, what was the main reason you decided to to want to pledge to uh to KU for twenty twenty four? Uh really when I went there I like I felt super welcome. I felt like it was like a great place where I can like fit in well. Um we had a uh, player host while I was with him. I just felt like really like 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 I could be here for like the next like four years, so like it just felt great. Who was your player host? Uh Michael Ford. Awesome, yeah. Michael Ford, longtime player, been been part of the offensive line and everything. And I, I think what's interesting, Michael Ford, he, he kind of has been a plug and play guy so far for KU that it's you know, wherever they need to play him. That's where they're they're doing it. And I think that's an interesting question that I, I know a lot of people have had about you because uh, you've got this incredible. I mean, do I have this right? I think I saw eighty-four inch wingspan. Is that a, is that a correct number? Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what they had me at. I mean, that that's unbelievable. So obviously, you got the wingspan of a, a an NFL level offensive tackle. Um, but I I don't know. I, I think one of the recruiting rankings has you listed as an interior offensive lineman. Is, is that kind of how you view your game? You'll you'll just play whatever offensive line position uh, you can, or, or do you have a specific position that you you feel like you're profiled into? Oh uh, yeah, I mean right now my high school I play uh, tackle, but at a lot of camps we're playing guard and, and tackle. So like I'm just I can play whatever I'm needed at to be honest. Lance Leipold, the head coach at Kansas. What what were your thoughts on him and the uh, offensive line coach Scott Fuchs in in your visit and, and talking with those guys? Oh yeah, they're really really uh, down to earth people. They're really straightforward straightforward to me. Um, I went to his house on the during the visit. I just thought it was like really like really like welcoming and just like just a great guy. You're in Minnesota. Um, so I, I'd imagine, uh, what's the adjustment going to be like for you coming to Kansas in, in terms of the weather? Or are you going to enjoy it being, I mean, it still gets cold in the winter, but are, are you going to enjoy it not being like negative 20? Oh yeah. Yeah. I heard that like, there's not that much snow, so like I'm pretty excited for that. <laughs> okay. Um, is, is there something that you're going to miss the most? Have you thought, I, I mean, you still got another year before you got to get there, but whether it's like a food or, you know, home cooking or, or just something or, or a place that you like to go to, is there something that you're going to miss the most, do you think, when, when you do arrive in Lawrence? Yeah. I mean, I guess like, 
my mom is cooking. You're gonna miss that. Um, and then I guess like my friends, friends pay me as well too. Cause like I don't, I don't think I have any family down there, but yeah, I'm probably gonna miss them the most. How much do you and, and all the other commits communicate with each other? Is that something where there is like a big group chat or, or is that something that, I don't know, maybe is probably going to more happen when you guys do, all do arrive on campus? Oh, yeah, there is a group chat. Um, but we've been trying to just like talk to each other online, I guess, mostly, since like we're all from different areas of the country. Um, but on the visit, we really like connected a lot. Uh, so I thought that was pretty cool. Who would you say is the funniest of – maybe one of the other commits or, or one of the other, you know, recruits that, that you got a chance to go on a visit with? Oh, funniest? Uh, I'd probably say Carson, just because, like, I was with him the most uh, when we had, uh, when we were out with our player host. But, yeah, I'd probably say Carson. Okay, Carson Brune. Uh, I know it's hard to self-scout yourself. You know, it's always awkward for somebody to me. It's like, oh, what do you think you do well, right? But uh, I'm going to ask you this anyway. What would you deem to be your biggest strength on the football field? Uh, I'd probably say my arms. It was used them a lot pretty well. And do you have a favorite memory or favorite moment from your football career so far? Probably say beating our hometown rivals Woodbury last year, 28-0. That was that was huge for us. If you could draw up your winning play, I know it's different for an offensive lineman. Who knows? Maybe maybe you could convince Andy Kotelnicki one day to use those long arms to you know flex out as an eligible lineman and, and catch a pass or something. But uh, if you could drop that winning play, I don't know. Would it be like getting out in space, nailing somebody on on a screen for a winning touchdown? Would it just be like road grading someone on a goal to go situation? Like what? Just stonewalling somebody and pass blocking. What would your dream play look like? What would you be doing on that play? My dream play, uh, I'd probably say me at fullback, two yards, uh, two yards, two yards away from the touchdown, fourth down, and just straight down the middle into the touchdown. Just road grading the way in front of you and just knocking people away. Love it. Um, right. Do you have a favorite thing to do off the football field? Uh, I play people a lot. Uh, I, I'd say I'm pretty good at it. Um, also, back with my friends. I used to play basketball sophomore year, so playing with my friends is just uh, good, I guess. You know, it's pretty, pretty fun. Yeah, I guess the, the wingspan probably helped you out there. Uh, do you have a favorite food or a favorite meal? Hmm. I'd probably say just anything with, like, pasta, I guess. I really like pasta. Okay. Uh, do you have a favorite either? I'll, I'll give you three options here for just the entertainment side of things. Album, movie, or TV show? Hmm. Right, one of them? Yeah, you, I mean, if you want to give multiple, you can too, but yeah. Okay, favorite album? Probably say... That one's hard. I'm going to come back to that one. Okay. Favorite movie is probably Central Intelligence or Black Panther. Um, And then what was the other one? Uh, favorite TV show? Favorite TV show? Hmm. As of right now, I'd probably say like regular show. Sure. A show on Cartoon Network. That's pretty. It's kind of a kind of like a younger kid show, but like I still watch it a little bit. No, I, I I've seen the episodes of it. It's it's funny. It's funny. A lot of like random stuff that just happens in it for sure. Um, I I love the. I I think if if you. 
I don't know, do get that opportunity to maybe get a touchdown, you know, getting in a fullback carry or, or a tight end, something. I think you got to do the the Wakanda, the the arm, I don't know, the X on the arm or something like that. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be cool to do, yeah. Uh, do you have a, a favorite all-time NFL or, or college football player? I'd probably say Trent Williams. I'd probably like match his game a little bit, so probably him. And uh, if you have to pick one of these two, I, I feel like I know the answer based on one of your previous answers, but board games or video games, which are you choosing? Mm. Yeah, I, really, I actually really like both of them. Mm. But I'd probably say, man, that's kind of hard. Okay. I'm to go with board games. Okay. All right, yeah, board games. Probably, probably different, but I, I like a good board game. Love it. Well, uh, I'm sure all the guys in in the dorm when you do arrive eventually in about a year or so uh, are going to be looking out for your FIFA game. That that'll be popular in the in the room area. Uh, see who you guys can uh, all beat out and everything. I, I appreciate you hopping on here, man, and uh, just kind of taking some time to to share some stuff about you. I know all the KU football fans are are excited for for once you get on campus and everything, and we look forward to to seeing you around in Lawrence, and and we hope you have a great senior season. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. That was Kenne Anene, the uh, three-star offensive line commit for KU football for the class of 2024. He uh, is from St. Paul, Minnesota, Eastridge High School, six foot five, 265 pounds. You heard that insane wingspan, seven-foot wingspan, man. Uh, that that's gonna help you out blocking. You keep guys away from your chest, that's for sure. And and you know it's cool with with both him and uh, Harrison Utley, and you kind of learn this from from seeing some of the other offers on the list, like. Uh, you see, I don't know, Fordham, Fordham or, or Columbia, which is an Ivy League school. You see Army, Air Force. You see some of the offers of some of these schools that you have to be a smart person to go to these schools. And and that was the case with like Harrison Utley. You look at his offers and, and kind of the scouting report on both these guys, um, that they're smart football players. And I think that is so invaluable as offensive linemen because – you have to be able to pick up stunts and different blitzes and guys coming from different spots. You have to be able to pick up playing. Like, it's not like quarterback where it's like, okay, well, you do have to know the full playbook. Like, I'm not trying to take away that, but maybe that was a bad example. It's not like running back where it's like, hey, run the ball here, you're going to block here, you're going to know the route tree, but you're going to basically always be playing running back. Offensive line, you could play tackle, you could play guard, you could have different uh, lineups, you could have to snap the ball, you could have, like you could just be different on the field. You have to be smart so that you can fill in different spots in case of injury or or along the years, and I think that's the case here. So uh, really enjoyed catching up with him. We're going to try to catch up with some other uh, KU football commits for the class of 2024 over the next week or two as well. Um, but yeah, hope you enjoyed that conversation. All right, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Uh, keep it locked right here on FM 1017 and 1320 AM. Depend on it. They got him. We got Marsh. We got Marsh. 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 The Marsh? The Marsh. Nick the Marsh? one and only. No, the other one. The <laughs> other one. The Alec, other one. <laughs> Alec Marsh. He's a AAA pitcher for the Royals. He's coming up to pitch for the team tomorrow. Who? Yeah. It's not, not Nick Marsh news. Sorry. I, I don't know why oh. you would interpret it that way. Oh, man. Yeah. It's not like they have the same last name or anything. No, 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 no. Man. Okay, so uh, we uh, have been doing this segment once every Thursday, and we're going to do it again today, uh, called Jayhawk Rewind, where we go back and look at 
different opponents that KU football played last year. We've been going in order from the start of the season through the season. We are now on KU's fifth game of the year, which is the Iowa State game. And if you missed any of the past ones, you can find them on the Best of RCST podcast. Just look at the past four weeks of, of Thursday episodes. Um, so uh, I guess starting things off here, Kansas taking on Iowa State. It was uh, your 4 0. Yeah, October 1st, the beginning of, of beautiful October. You're 4 0. Iowa You're State was good. 3 1. You were feeling good. good. You were coming off the Duke win. Iowa State, meanwhile, coming off a loss. They lost by a touchdown to Baylor. Uh, but Iowa State seemed like a pretty good team. They they obviously yeah. had a close loss to what we figured to be a pretty good Baylor team. Yeah. And Iowa State at this State, point in the season, you thought Iowa State was still like you a did. pretty decent team. Yeah, they they returned a, a decent amount of players. And um, an elite defense. Elite defense. They had beaten Iowa early in the year, which yep. you know which, we again at the time we didn't realize how bad Iowa's <laughs> offense was. I mean, Iowa still won like eight games, so it wasn't yeah, like you know, it's not true. like that's a bad win or anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, and coming into the game, it was we we knew Iowa State had a really good defense. I don't think we knew how good of a defense. We did know they had a really good defense. We knew they were you know one of the top two or three in the conference, probably top twenty, top twenty five in the country. At that point, we knew KU's offense looked pretty unstoppable. I don't think we realized that Iowa State's defense was like the best in the conference and maybe one of the best in the country uh, based on that game. And then I, I remember having a lot of conversations. How on earth was KU going to defend Xavier Hutchinson? Yeah, because remember. When you look at what KU had done up to this up to that point in the season with their four games, they had gotten kind of ripped apart by Bryce Ford Wheaton, did whatever he wanted. Nathaniel Dell of Houston put up decent numbers, even though he wasn't really didn't really make a big impact. And so there was a serious concern of you now had two sample sizes of a, a team having a bona fide number one receiver that had a lot of success against you. And in the case of Bryce Ford Wheaton, he almost single handedly won them the game uh, for West Virginia. So there was a lot of concern about now you're facing a wide receiver that was viewed to be on that level, if not even better, right? I mean, Xavier Hutchinson was probably viewed to be a top three or four receiver in the conference at that at that point, uh, on the same level as Bryce Ford Wheaton, who just, like I said, just really torched you in the West Virginia game. So there was a lot of concern about how KU was going to handle that because they'd had enough of a sample size, and uh, albeit you know to that point in the season, of facing off against tier one level receivers, bona fide number one receivers, and they had not really done very good. Yes. Uh, coming into the game, Iowa State was actually favored by three and a half. The over-under was 59. That went way under. Yeah. Way under. That was a lot of respect for the KU offense and also probably worries about the KU defense, which makes sense. Uh, ended up 47,233 in attendance, so really good attendance for the game. How the game went, it was obviously a defensive slugfest. It was an ugly game. Yeah. Um, neither team scored in the first quarter. Iowa State got the ball first. Uh, KU on their first drive went like 32 yards. They just kind of flipped field position. And then Iowa State drove down in the first quarter and missed a field goal. The first one they missed for the game was a 38-yarder. So at that point, you're feeling okay if you're Kansas. Then Kansas yeah. goes down, scores a touchdown, seven-play, 79-yard drive. They they make it look easy. They're up 7 nothing. They get a three-and-out from Iowa State, and it's like, okay, we're rolling. They're making mistakes. Boom, we got the ball back up 7 nothing. Um, and and then after that, even though you you three-and-outed, you get an interception. You get a uh, interception. I think it was Kobe Bryant. And then you score another touchdown. You had a short field, 19-yard drive. You, you go down, you get a quick score. So now it's 14-0 in the second quarter. And it's like, okay, it, it feels like Kansas is the dominant team here. It's yes. like, is Kansas going to blow them out? Yes. Uh, I mean, Hunter Deckers was not looking very impressive. 
this was one of the, this was one of those games we talked about earlier in the show about the KD run defense, uh, where overall, if you look at the numbers, they had a slight improvement. But they had some games where they looked really good and some games where they looked really bad in the run defense. This was a game where they looked really good. Iowa State did not have any success running the ball at all. No. Uh, and, and maybe the key turning play, Iowa State had a third and eight at their own 27, down 14 nothing late in the second quarter. They get a pass interference on Kobe Bryant on the third and eight. Then they have a 53-yard completion the very next play. They eventually score a touchdown. And then after getting the touchdown, Kansas, I, I want to say they like jumped off sides or something on the PAT. I don't remember exactly what the penalty was, but they get a penalty. So Iowa State now goes, oh, well, we'll just go for two. We're at the one and a half or something. Or maybe it was like a fake P. No, actually, no, that's what it was. I just remember them getting the two-point conversion. I think the uh, didn't the, it was like a bad snap. And the, the guy rolled out, and he ended up, like, scoring somehow, yeah, the backup yeah. quarterback. That's yeah. what it was. So they end up doing that. So, yeah, so now it's now it's 14-8 because they get the two-point conversion. It's like, what just happened here? You go from feeling like you're dominating the game to all of a sudden they're down six. Then you go down. You have a fourth and five at their 32. And with the worst field goal kicker in the Big 12, instead of being aggressive and going for it on fourth down, you decide to go, hey, let's try kicking a 50-yard field goal with Jacob Borchilla. Guess how that went? Not well. Not well. They miss it. So uh, you go into the, the the locker room with a 14-8 lead, but and it's you're, like... You're feeling pretty good, but like... You are. You feel like you outplayed them. You rewind them, back to five minutes earlier like in the quarter. Yeah, you rewind back yes. to five minutes earlier in the quarter where it was like, okay, yeah, you've been pretty dominant. Yeah. So then you get down... And this was kind of a game where you really were, were conservative. I talked about kicking the 50-yard field goal there. You get the ball to start the second half. You drive down to the Iowa State 45. It's fourth and three. You decide to punt it, and it ends up being a touchback. So you yeah. net 25 K- yards. KU did not attempt a fourth down the entire game. Yeah. Iowa State, by on the flip side, Iowa State, five fourth wow. down attempts. That's a lot. Uh, so then Iowa State goes down, and this was the uh, field goal that they actually made. They made a 35-yarder off a of like 12-play drive where KU did a good job bending but not breaking. So now it's 14-11. to 11. The KU offense just went into hibernation in the second half especially after that first drive. They end up punting. Iowa State misses another field goal, three and out. Um, but on the three and out on the punt, Tory Lachlan recovers another, um, I believe, yeah, he, he recovers another fumble on the punt, which was like the West Virginia game. So Kansas gets the ball, but instead of being able to take advantage of it, they start at the Iowa State 29. Daniel Highshaw fumbles. Daniel Highshaw fumbles. And that was Iowa the play State he got. That was the play he got hurt yes. as well. Yes. Yeah. So that was double bad for KU. Fortunately, the KU defense comes out, makes a stop. Then KU goes three and out again. They took the ball over with five fifteen at their own twenty. If they get maybe two first downs, the game might be over. But they yeah. they couldn't so move the, the chains. This is this is another game where, again, this is another game where with the KU offense, you have your best unit on the field late in the game with the lead and a chance to put it away, and you're unsuccessful. Mm-hmm. And that I think it was a point of frustration for KU at that point because this is now your third time in five games. You go back to West Virginia game. You go back to Duke. Now Iowa State. You have the ball with your best unit on the field late in the game, and you're unable to to really put it away. Yep. Fortunately, though, Iowa State goes down. They drive, and they get a fourth and one. Yeah. And for all their aggressiveness. Yep. For all their aggressiveness. This is the one. Matt Campbell getting aggressive. 27 seconds. Gets in his own head. Kick a 37-yarder with a guy who's already missed a couple. Hey, you know, we missed a 38-yarder. 
we missed another one that was, let's see, what did they miss? They missed another one that was 45. So he's missed from 38, missed from 45, made from 35. Now you're going to trust him with 37. And the trust was, yeah, didn't work out well. He missed it. So Kansas wins the game, 14 to 11, which the aftermath immediately after the game, I, I remember feeling. It was uh, the aftermath immediately after the game at, at the stadium. Because I remember I was at the game. I was in the stands for this game. The aftermath at the stadium was one of pure jubilation. Yep. I mean, everyone rushed, was just stormed the field. thrilled. The goalpost came down, I believe, in this game. Uh, it was, or maybe the goalposts. Did they come down? Maybe uh, they I did. know fans rushed the field. Was I don't this know the game the where they where they held their ground and didn't tear them down? They might have been. <laughs> I don't remember. Anyways, the immediate aftermath of this game was just pure joy. Yes, just pure. Everyone was so happy. It really was um, because it felt like the supplanting of everything you had done to that point, and it was kind of a weird mix too of emotions in terms of you felt like you were the much better team in the first half. You felt like. There were a lot of things you did wrong that you should have done better that would have prevented you from even having to be in that situation. Also, though, there was the flip side where it was like you got kind of lucky. You got lucky that the field goal kicker had a bad, right? Like, or yeah. that they made this or that decision. So which, it's kind of a weird feel. Which, you know, for a lot of KU fans, when it came to luck, the quote unquote luck factor, the last 12, 13, 14 years, it felt like everything always went the other way. Mm hmm. And here was a game where that didn't really, that wasn't really the case. Yes. Um, I but we learned that Jalen Daniels was mortal. Yeah. I mean, coming off the Duke game where he was 19 of 23 for 5,000 yards and five touchdowns, 17,000 yards in the Duke game, <laughs> comes back against Iowa State, 50% completion percentage, 7 of 14 for only 93 yards. This was the first game he felt mortal. And, and really, you look at it, Iowa State ended up having 100 more total yards. 313. K only had 213 total yards. Yeah. Uh, I do remember, though, I do remember coming into this studio after that game and talking about how while Jalen Daniels was, was mortal, was human, was not spectacular, what I remember specifically from my takeaway from this game was Jalen Daniels had a, by his standards, bad game. But you know what he didn't do? He didn't turn the ball over. He didn't make that critical mistake from the quarterback position that cost Kansas. And that was my that was kind of my takeaway. It's like in the past with KU quarterbacks, even in games where it was like even remotely close, the Kansas quarterback was off was oftentimes making a mistake that ended up hurting KU. And I think even though Jalen Daniels didn't have a great game and was, you know, again by his standards had a bad game, he didn't force things. He didn't make that critical mistake that he didn't, you know, he wasn't basically like it wasn't like the third or fourth quarter, and you know he knew he was having a tough game, and he was frustrated, and he tried to force the ball, and it got intercepted. Yeah. Or he held the held on to the ball too long in the pocket, trying to make a play, and got sacked for home or something like that. He didn't make the critical mistake that ultimately defined the game in a negative light for. Kansas. Yeah, that was important, and that that could be something where you know you're this great player, and you're getting frustrated, and then you try to force exactly. It. exactly. Don't do that if it's not there. So yeah, you are right. Uh, really, the big difference was just the Iowa State missed field goals and the turnover margin, where KU was plus one. That's why they won the game. I mean, Iowa State almost won the game by just convert. They were you mentioned them going for five fourth downs. They were four for five, whereas KU yeah. was zero for zero. Yeah. Iowa State was not good on third down. They were five of eighteen. Kansas was three of ten. The difference was was the fourth down decisions that. Almost won them the game. Uh, dude's list for this game. I, I don't think you can give... This is like the one game where you probably can't give Jalen 
the dude list for. Yeah. Um, even though, like you said, he still did not mess up the game, I guess. Devin Neal, I thought, was still really good. 12 carries, 75 yeah, he yards. Had a, he had a big 30-yard run in the first half that led to KU's first touchdown, I believe, uh, which was huge, and he was effective. Yeah, 6.3 yards per carry for Devin Neal, so he was really good. Uh, maybe you'd give one to Luke Graham. He was the only receiver for KU with even more than one reception. He had four of them for 46 yards. But really, overall, like I feel like you'd more so give them to the defensive guys. Um, yeah, yeah. This was, uh, I mean, I think in the immediate aftermath, it was like the defense for KU was good. But I think over time, you started to realize KU's defense played a good game. But also, as it turned out, Iowa State's offense yes. and Hunter Deckers was just maybe really bad. Yeah. Uh, Iowa State had 30 carries for 26 yards. Now, that's sack included, but they still did not. Like, the running backs, 12 for 29, 7 for 20. They didn't do anything. Xavier Hutchinson, like, statistically, oh, he had 13 catches. He had 101 yards. But when you think about it, the way they were force-feeding in the ball – you know, less than eight yards yeah, per they catch. Yeah, they like, were running a lot of... That wasn't uh, bad. They were running a lot of tunnel screens for him. Yes. I remember they were running a lot of, like, bubble drag screens. Drag routes over the middle. Drag tunnel screens to, just to get him the ball. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, makes sense. You know, you want to get your impact player the ball. But you're right. On paper, you know, the numbers kind of jump out at you. But KU still won the game. Yeah. Now, the KU D-line was really good this game. Uh, they, they obviously stopped the running attack. They had eight tackles for loss. They had five sacks. Sam Burt had one and a half sacks. He was really good in the game. Uh, you got a sack from a couple of your linebackers, Craig Young and Taiwan Berryhill. Lonnie Phelps had a sack in the game. Jeremy Robinson had half a sack. Like, that was really good. Kobe Bryant had that key interception, too. He also had another pass deflection. He ended up with six tackles for the game. He was on the dude list. Uh, Kenny Logan had a really good game, too. He had four tackles and a pass deflection. The pass deflection, if you remember, it was a play. I don't remember which quarter or which drive it was if it came on the one where Iowa State made the field goal or on one where they missed it. Was it that play where they threw like the fade to the sideline? Yes, they yeah. threw the fade to the sideline, and Xavier Hutchinson, had he either had beaten Kobe Bryant or it was like a cover two where Kobe Bryant was supposed to be in the flats and, and was letting him get behind him. Whatever it was, Xavier Hutchinson was behind Kobe Bryant into the corner of the end zone, and Kenny Logan had a very small window to come over and knock the ball away. And he did. He knocked it away. He he put a hit on Xavier Hutchinson and kept it from being a touchdown, which ultimately could have won Iowa State the game in, in hindsight. So he was a big dude in that game and, and made a, a very big play. Uh, I, I think the biggest takeaway for me in the moment was even through the first four games, we were having conversations of eventually there's going to be a game where the offense just doesn't have it or just and has a game would, where they score 21 points. And what right? would that look like? And what would that look like? And would the defense be able to step up? And this was the time where you were like, okay, the defense can win you the game. Yeah. I think hindsight 2020, um, again, that never happened again. It basically was, this was less about the defense being really good and more about Hunter Deckers being really bad. 100%. And also Matt Campbell being an idiot. I think beyond that, like the biggest take, I don't even know that this is a takeaway. This was just something cool. You talked about the jubilation after the game. Like this was the game where it was the, even though it wasn't as exciting as the other games, even though it wasn't as much of an affirmation that you were you were arriving as a program, even though it wasn't um, the game where you felt like, um, oh, they really can make a bowl game, although this helped in that regard, but like that might have been the Duke or the Houston game. This game was just that ultimate jubilation and the the feeling of, accomplishment in what you had really done that first half of the season because yeah. they became ranked after this game. They got ranked 19th. At that point, you're like, we're 5-0. and If we don't make a bowl game, that is just like <laughs> horrid what would happen there, right? And and it even became, we, we got into conversations about being like, man, maybe maybe 
uh, forget the bowl game. Like maybe not forget the bowl game, but maybe we move our sights higher. Maybe we yeah. talk about eight or nine wins. Maybe we talk about Big Twelve titles. And obviously, contention. after the game, you didn't know it at the time, but this uh, this win was what set you up for college game day coming to town. Yeah, you know, which even though you lost the game, is something you're going to remember yes. forever, right? Yes. yes. Um, I think other takeaways in this game: special teams are important, obviously. <laughs> I think that was true for both teams, to be completely honest. Oh, yeah, for sure. I would even throw a bit of that in the hindsight 2020 goggles. I think Iowa State's, obviously, they were a tale yeah, of how their, important their special, special teams, teams can be. Their special teams overshadowed. Game, but it overshadowed KU. KU's. Yeah, it overshadowed. I think this was a game that it over a lot of maybe the questionable coaching decisions that occurred for KU, not going forward on fourth down and whatnot, were totally overshadowed by Iowa State's yes. failures. Yes. No, you're 100% right. And and even like KU's, I, I mentioned some of the special teams gaffes. You missed a field goal. You punted at the opposing, opponent 45. And if you're going to do that, if you're going to opt to punt at the opponent 45, it better be inside at least the 10-yard line, if not inside the 5, and it was a touchback instead. Like, that was a special teams gaffe. Um giving up the two-point conversion on a muffed snap. Like, that was a special teams gaffe that could have cost you in the end because if you don't give up those two points, you know, if Iowa State hits the last field goal, it's going to overtime. Instead, it's 14-9, to nine and, and it's, you know, different how everything kind of plays out there. So, yeah, that, that kind of got overshadowed uh, in that regard. Um, I also think I, I had a takeaway, like, you know, Matt Campbell is a very, I feel like, divisive coach in how people view him in the Big 12. I think specifically in the local area, Kansas State fans like hate Matt Campbell. <laughs> well, yeah, because of Farmageddon. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think a lot of uh, schools who, I mean, know, Matt, maybe, Matt Campbell, I think, as you know, going into last year was viewed as maybe one of the most up and coming yes. young coaches for like right a serious you know and, and the argument, and, but it does feel like he's been. It feels like he's been kind of holding out at Iowa mm -hmm. State for like a really, really big job. Like and, I, if I remember right, he he was one of the guys that really, really wanted the Oklahoma job. I don't remember. Yeah, probably. But like it, it, it was one of those things where with Matt Campbell, like the knock against him for the people who were like he's not as good of a coach as everybody is talking about was oh he's never won nine games. The pro for Matt Campbell was like okay, but you realize Iowa State has never won nine games, and they never have been a team that's made like all these straight bowl games, and he's doing that, which shows you that he's doing more with less. So, like, there was this at least conversation of, like, oh, he's a good coach. I think you started to see last year, and maybe this is another one of those games where it was like, well, why didn't you do that? Like, going for that fourth down instead of kicking there. Or, like, there would be times over the last couple of years where he would just be, like, yelling at the ref, and, like, it would mess up the team, or, like, they wouldn't get a playoff. And I think, for me, it was uh, a takeaway. I had Lance Leipold better than Matt Campbell. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah, and I, I think this was the start of the idea of how good is Lance Leipold? Is you know is he a top three or four coach in the Big Twelve? Mm -hmm. Where does he where where does he rank nationally, right? And this was also uh, was this we were getting into the the Nebraska stuff at this point also. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I I didn't even remember. I I forgot about that until now. I just wanted to tuck away that uh, in the closet and not ever have to come I mean, around. I think to that I don't, again. Yeah. I'm trying to remember when the peak of the Nebraska panic was, this, but it was probably around this time. This is around the time because yeah. at that point Nebraska had been struggling. Yeah, you're 100 percent right. Um, yes, yes. That that's when that started. So that's a good point too. Did that did that teach us anything? Did this game teach us anything for this year for 2023? Uh, I I don't know. I mean I. Does it give you any hope that the defense can win you do game? more of that? That can win you. A I game? think maybe like out of a twelve-game season, if the, the defense right can win you one game, that's that feels you feel pretty good about that. Yeah, right? 
I think it also showed me Jalen Daniels isn't infallible. As great yeah. as Jalen is, I think he's the best quarterback in the conference. That doesn't mean that you can just go into every game and be like, oh, well, we don't have to worry about anything. Jalen's got it. You still but have to again, do other things. My big takeaway was that while he, well, he's not perfect, he didn't make the big mistake. Yeah. He's a winning player. Yes. That's a good thing. And then, uh, I, I don't know, this isn't even a Kansas takeaway. I just Did you know Iowa State lost six Big 12 games last year by one possession? <laughs> So are they are they like a dark horse? Is that going to revert? Yeah, to the I don't, yeah, that's interesting. Actually, do they become a team that's going to win like eight games next year, seven no, games? I hope not. Yeah, that would probably not be good for for KU if if they're a really good team. Because you have to play them in Ames. Um, but I, I definitely think it it teaches you because if you remember that that's something else that I forgot to mention in the uh, lead up to the game. What we thought headed in it was the conversation of. Iowa State has beaten your brains in over the last couple of meetings, right? Yep, yep. And the, the first year that they played you in the Lance Leipold era, it was over in the first was, was seven it, minutes. Was, was that the game where KU had like 10 yards of offense? That No, that was a different game. Oh. That, that was a game up in Ames uh, a few years back. Oh, okay, that was okay, a bad okay. one too, though. But <laughs> the game that they played in Ames in Lance Leipold's first year, I think it was like 28 nothing after the first quarter. So like it was, it was over from over. the get-go. Yeah. And I think that's something it could teach us for 2023. Kansas is caught up. There was a yeah. big gap in the programs in 2021. They have caught up, and as of 2022, they were better. Will they be better in 2023? I don't know. Iowa State could be but good. They could no be bad. it's no longer just over for Correct. KU if they get down or if they, you know, whatever. Right? Yep, 100%. All right, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. That is our Jayhawk Rewind. Uh, next week, we'll get into the TCU game. That'll be no fun. We're going to have to start getting into the losses. Right? Yeah, I mean... College game day, though. Yeah, that is true. All right, uh, let's head into the transfer portal next. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Thanks for listening to the Best of RCST podcast. And a reminder, you can catch our show Monday through Friday from 3 to 6 live on KLWN in Lawrence, 101.7 FM, 1320 AM, or anywhere you're online at klwn.com or the KLWN app. Thanks for listening.